0: Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. morning. It's good to see you all here. I think some people are still at home in their turkey comas, but thank you to those of you who made the effort to wake up and get here this morning. Um, We're really excited. Um, Next week, we're starting a new sermon series called God With Us. Hope you'll join us. Um, It's going to be our Advent Christmas series, and it's going to be really, really good. So I really hope you'll make the effort. Invite some friends. Bring them along. This is a time when people are usually a little more willing to go to church. And so they might be willing to come and and um, hear some good things about how God is with us through all of the events of life. I'll just put it that way. So. Um, hope you can make it for that next week also I do just want to highlight um, a couple things that we have coming up that uh, Debbie mentioned but another thing that we have coming up this coming Saturday is Hope closet and this is our Christmas hope closet we we expect a lot of people to be coming here on Saturday morning looking for clothes for warm you know for warm things to cover themselves during the cold weather um, so, all of you, there's going to be, what, is Santa going to be here? Yes, Santa's going to be here, that's right, for the children. The children. Um, so, you know, the children can get their picture taken with Santa. There's going to be treats and all kinds of fun stuff. So we would love for anyone who is able to come out and volunteer with us on that day. We're expecting a huge crowd, and it's a really fun day to see all of these people who we're able to um, help and show compassion and love to. And then as uh, Debbie already mentioned, our children's Christmas program next Sunday night, you won't wanna miss it. It is a really cute program. um, And I'm not just saying that because my adorable children are in it. There are other adorable children besides mine who are in it. So make the effort to come out and join us for that next Sunday evening. It'll be a really lovely time. Okay, so I think we've covered all of the, all of the stuff I need to cover. Um, oh, I didn't introduce myself. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Jeannie. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, it's my privilege to get to um, bring you a message this morning. So before we do that, would you join with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the beauty of your creation. We thank you for the rain. We thank you for the sun. And even though we haven't seen the sun that often, we know that it's still shining, and we thank you for that. We thank you for the snow, even though we may not be looking forward to it. We thank you for all that you have done in our lives. We ask that you would take this time this morning and use it in any way that you would. We ask these things in Jesus' name amen. So today I have to start with a confession, okay? Now some of you who know me pretty well probably already know this about me, but I have to, I have to take the time now and just confess this to everyone. Okay, here goes. I love Hallmark Christmas movies. In fact, yes, I love them so much that I actually start counting down. I start counting down in October to when the Christmas movies come on because they come on now the weekend before Halloween. It's so great. Two solid months of Christmas movies. (laughs) 24-7 on two channels. Life does not get much better than that, my friends. And so, yes, I love them. And... You know, in fact, yes, when my husband isn't home, they're on all the time. And the only thing that really takes precedence on our TV at this time of year is college football. And usually only when the college football game is good. Like if, you know, if it's a route, unless it's Ohio State routing somebody, Unless it's a route, my husband usually says to me, you want to just put on a Christmas movie because this game's pretty much done. So, that's how it goes in our house. And you're probably saying, but Jeannie, really, those movies are so repetitive. They're all the same story in just a slightly different way. You know? Girl is dating guy who looks good on paper. Girl meets another guy who really is a good guy, and he um, introduces her to the true meaning of Christmas. Meanwhile, she discovers that, you know, guy that she's dating isn't that great of a guy, and so she very nicely dumps him, tells him he's a wonderful guy, dumps him, and, you know, falls in love with guy number two, and then let's not forget my favorite part, which is like half an hour before the movie ends, when girl or guy overhears a conversation between the other person and someone else and misinterprets it. And so then there's all this like drama, like, will they get together? But of course they do, because they discover that, you know, they were misinterpreting they were misinterpreting it and you're like, really Jeannie, that's that's what you, you know, and I say wholehearted yes and amen. I love it. You know why? It brings me joy, and it makes me happy. And when, um, when when, when life is stressing me out, and my kids are driving me crazy, I can turn on a Hallmark Christmas movie and pretend like all is right with the world and tune everything else out. And it's so fun. And yes, even my daughter is now addicted as well. And so here's the problem though. What happens after Christmas is done when I am no longer getting 24 hours of tidings of comfort and joy on two channels? Where then do I get my joy? And this is the same problem I think that many people have at this time of year. There are those in here with me, I know today, who you may not be as gung-ho for Hallmark Christmas movies as I am, but you love Christmas. You can't wait until the day when you can get out all the decorations and start putting up your tree and um, remembering all these special times when you hang the ornaments on the tree. My Aunt Judy takes down everything on the walls of her house, everything, and puts up everything Christmas. Like her her whole house is completely transformed at Christmas time and so there are people like that we'd love that we get into the baking and the decorating and it's so much fun and then there are those of us who could really just um skip from Thanksgiving to New Year's and and not be (laughs) and and not care at all you know you could you could skip the whole Christmas season unfortunately for those of us who love Christmas what happens to us you know the day after New Year's when all of a sudden we're faced with 30 days of the cold, dark bleakness of January. And then, as I said, there are those of you who really, you could skip Christmas altogether and you'd be perfectly happy. And maybe it's because, you know, there's been some difficult times in your life over the, over the Christmas season and all that does is bring up bad and sad memories. Or maybe it's because... You just can't stand how commercialized Christmas has become, and you feel like we've lost the, you know, the, the, whole, the whole meaning of the season, and we have two kinds of people here. Whether you love Christmas or you hate Christmas, what do we do, what do, we do with that? Because you see, I think what we're really talking about here is a joy problem. Where do we get our joy from? And so what happens when the warm and fluffy movies go away? What happens to our joy and celebration when those temporary things that are causing us joy go away? I want to go back to something that Pastor Brad said just last week that was causing me to think over this week. He said, when we lead compelling lives, people come. And the question kind of started to come to me, you know, well, how... How do we lead compelling lives? What causes our lives to be compelling for other people? And I would submit to you that one of the things that causes our lives to be compelling is our joy. And so fortunately today, the writer of our passage gives us a solution to this problem. Now this is somebody who lived a compelling life. I mean, your life can't get much more compelling than the Apostle Paul's life. See, the thing was, here's what here's here's a little bit about Paul, or Saul as he was before. He um, was a leader in the community in Jerusalem. He actually went so he was actually so much a leader. He was actually a Pharisee, so he knew the law. He was really respected in the in the community. And um, he took it upon himself to start persecuting these new, this new group of Jesus followers because they were clearly taking Judaism off the rails and going in a whole direction that was not safe to go for the people. And so he began to travel around Palestine looking for Christians, looking for believers and Jesus followers and persecuting them, throwing them into prison. Um, There was one man named Stephen who was stoned to death, and um, Paul was there holding people's coats while they stoned Stephen. But here's the really neat thing that happened, is that one day Paul was traveling along, and he had a dramatic encounter with Jesus that forever changed him. And he went from being a persecutor of Christians to an apostle, which is somebody who has seen Jesus face to face, He went from being a persecutor to an apostle and a missionary. And so Paul traveled around. He ended up traveling around. He went all the way to Rome. But in the meantime, he traveled around to all these different areas um, of the Roman Empire, and he was starting churches and building up churches. And then what he would do is he would write letters to these churches to encourage them and to... um, well, t- usually to correct them because there was something going on in the church that shouldn't be. And so he would, um, he would do this. And the really th- the neat thing about this letter that Paul wrote today is that he wrote it to the church in Philippi. And what I love about this letter in particular is it's so encouraging because this church was pretty much doing everything right. And Paul was just writing to them to say, good job, keep it up here's some things to remember. Here, I want to remind you of these few things. And so he writes to the Philippians, and one of the things, so he tells them how to live in the right way and keep on following Jesus. And so how does he tell them to live? He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Now, many of you have probably heard this passage before, and so you're preparing to um, go back into your turkey coma and just tune me out for the next few minutes. I'm asking you not to do that. Please stay with me for a minute. You might actually hear something that you haven't heard before about this passage. So hang in with me for a little, for a little bit, because it's about to get good. Um, here, here's the thing. As Americans, when we hear this verse, We think that we take it very individually. Paul is talking to each individual person and saying each individual Christian should have joy welling up inside them. And while that is true, and Paul is talking to us individually as Christians, you have to remember that he was writing this letter to an entire community. And this letter actually probably traveled to the towns, the little villages and stuff that were around Philippi. And so he was writing this not to just individuals. He was writing this to a community of believers. And so what Paul is saying when he says this, he was, he's saying to rejoice not just individually, but publicly as a community and as a church. You see, all around them, different communities would have festivals to celebrate their gods and, and, you know, to celebrate Caesar, who they considered to be a god also. And after all that Jesus had done for them and has done for us, Paul believed it was only natural for followers of Jesus that they should celebrate what God has done for us. The followers of Jesus should celebrate what God has done for us, and I think that this is kind of where the church in, the, in America has kind of gone, gotten off track a little bit. We are so focused on the negative. We're so focused on, on where things seem to be going wrong, and people outside the church look at us, and they see people who appear to be strict, and unbending and grumpy, because we're always like, oh, you know, the back when I was a kid, this wouldn't have happened, you know, because everything was good back then and, and you know, the, this whole country is going to, you know, wear in a handbasket, and And, I mean, does that sound joyful? Uh, no. So instead of focusing on the goodness and faithfulness of God and publicly celebrating that, we focus on the negative. We focus on all the bad stuff. And the other thing that Paul talks about here is that we should be known for our gentleness and our graciousness. And when Paul uses the word gentleness here, it's really cool. This word actually means someone who knows how to combine justice and mercy. So he's thinking about Jesus and that woman who was caught in adultery. And Jesus did say to her, go and sin no more. But then he also said, Let the person who is without sin throw the first stone. And it turns out Jesus is the only one who could have done that. And then he treated her with mercy. And so when Paul is talking about gentleness here, he's talking about what Jesus would do. We must see the person beneath the problem and treat them the way that Jesus would, combining justice and mercy. Now, at this point, you're probably thinking, okay, this is all well and good, Jeannie, but you have no idea what I'm going through in my life right now. And you're right. I have no idea what you're going through. You're thinking, how am I supposed to be joyful and celebrate publicly when I have a family member who is dying of cancer? Or how am I supposed to be joyful and celebrate publicly when I am becoming, when I am having to learn how to be a parent to my parents, or how am I supposed to be joyful and celebrate publicly, when I'm having a baby that's going to have serious health problems. And you're right. I don't know. I know that every one of us is going through something, and I don't know what that is. But there was something I left out when I was introducing you to Paul earlier. See, when Paul wrote this letter, he was in prison. Not only was he in prison, he was most likely in prison in Rome, and he was about to be executed by Nero, the emperor, for just being a follower of Jesus. So guess what? When Paul is talking about rejoicing in all things, he knows what he's talking about. Because his life was not exactly happy-go-lucky Hallmark movie either. And not only was Paul going through this stuff, but he knew that this persecution was about to spread across the empire, and he knew that this was going to come to the Philippians as well, and they were going to experience hardship and persecution. And see, what I love is that Paul gives us some things in the next few verses to do that allow us to have joy. And what he says is key. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you notice how Paul tells them to pray in every situation? Now, I know some of you are probably like me, and sometimes I just, I leave God out of certain situations because I think, you know, they're, they're too small to bother him with. They're, you know, they're not big enough that, that God needs to, to deal with that issue. I can handle that issue on my own. God, you know, God doesn't need that problem. From me, right, those of you who have kids, think about this. don't you want to hear when your child is going through something, even if that problem seems really small and insignificant, you still want them you still want to hear about it, even if it's you know something so so crazy that you're like Child, this is, this is so, you know, not going to be an issue in like a month. You know, you need to get over it. But really, you want to hear these things. You want to hear from your kids. And this is how much God loves us. We are his children, and he wants to hear from us. He wants to hear from e- in each and every situation, whether big or small. We need to remember that we serve a God who cares about every situation in our life. But then we can't miss the words with thanksgiving. We must pray with hearts that are full of gratitude and thankfulness for all of God's goodness and faithfulness to us. And then the key part comes when t- Paul tells us, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And what I love is the promise that comes here. When Paul uses the word guard, it's actually a military term that's ta- that is de- denoting a soldier who is standing guard. And so what Paul is saying is when we pray like this, God's peace comes as a sentinel around our hearts and our minds and doesn't allow anything else in. And the neat thing is, when he talks about the peace that passes understanding, he's not just saying that we can't understand it because we kind of can. You know, you can feel that peace. You know that you're experiencing that peace. But what Paul is saying here is, the peace that surpasses understanding is a peace that our minds can't manufacture or invent. This is a peace that comes from outside of ourselves and can only come from God. Think about that. When you pray and you give these things to God, His peace comes over you and there is no way you could make up that peace or make yourself feel that peaceful in your own mind. It can only come from the God of peace himself. So then, Paul gives us one more way that will help us rejoice in every situation. He says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. In other words, where is your focus? In our world today, we are constantly bombarded by the negative. Whenever we, whenever we, everywhere we turn, there are negative things coming at us. And what Paul is saying here is you need to choose to focus on Christ. All of these things that Paul lists here are things that come from God. And the problem is that when we focus on the news and social media and politics, we're doing the exact opposite of what Paul tells us to do in this verse. If you're struggling to find joy in your life, Paul tells us that we need to focus on the goodness and the faithfulness of God You need to turn off Fox News and CNN and Facebook and Instagram and whatever else may be pulling your focus away from Jesus Christ because he's the only one who deserves our focus. And he's the only one that's going to bring us joy and peace when we focus on him. We need to focus on God and the good things from God instead of the parts of God's creation that have been corrupted and made ugly by sin. Have you ever noticed that what you focus on starts to pour out of you? When we were in our staff meeting this past week, we got, to t- got on this, this subject. I don't know how we got on this subject. But we got on this subject, and um, Todd shared a story with us, and I have his permission to share this with you. Um, Todd shared that there was a time in his life where he really was into The Simpsons. In fact, he was so into The Simpsons that he was watching it every day. And it got to a point where not only was he watching it every day, but he could take a quote from the, he, he could have a quote from the Simpsons and apply it to any situation in life that he came across. And I, I have a feeling there may be some other guys of Todd's generation who could probably identify. Um, and he said that no matter what happened, he immediately channeled Bart or Homer Simpson and that was his response that came out of him. And it was almost, he almost no longer had control of his responses. It was Bart and Homer coming out, oh boy. And he started to realize that his responses to these situations were no longer healthy or positive, which I'm sure you could probably imagine. Instead, he was responding from the place where he had focused his mind. And he realized he had to make a conscious decision to stop watching The Simpsons and to focus on God. And he began to think on things that were true and lovely and noble and excellent and praiseworthy, and his responses began to change. Now, some of you know that I am a huge fan of the show Friends. And, yeah, your favorite? Yeah, it's a funny show. Um, And there have been many a time where even actually on Thanksgiving Day, um, where I'm able, I, I too am able to take any situation and find a quote or a situation from friends that applies to that situation. But not necessarily, it's not necessarily always a positive or good response when we do that. Now, I am not up here, I am not up here, to tell you which TV shows you should or should not be watching. Not at all, but I am up here to tell you that where you focus your mind affects your attitude and affects your response. So it's time to turn off the TV, turn off your phone, turn off your computer, turn off anything that is going to draw your focus away from God. Pick up your Bible and start reading God's word. Take a verse at a time and commit it to memory. So what do you do when bad things happen? When things start to look hopeless? How do we live a compelling life? We choose to rejoice and celebrate God's goodness no matter what. And believe me, I get that life is hard. I understand that circumstances and situations come our way that we do not choose. But what I know is that to live a life that is compelling, we have to choose a different response. To live a life that is compelling, We need to take every situation, whether it's big or small, and pray about it and turn it over to the God who can do something about it. Does this mean that we'll walk around with a happy smile on our face and that our lives will all turn out like the end of those wonderful Hallmark movies? No. Unfortunately, we will probably still grieve and we will still We will still have times where we will be sad, and we will still have times ahead of us that are scary, and we don't know what to do. But once again, I draw you back to the words of Psalm 91 Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress my god in whom i trust you want to live a life that is compelling live in the shelter of the most high god and rest in his shadow and you will find joy and the peace that passes understanding remember god's goodness and faithfulness to you individually and to his church and celebrate that publicly. So what do I want you to do this week? I want you to choose joy. And I know that this is easier said than done, but I want you, if you want to have a life that is compelling and that draws people to Jesus, this is how it happens. Choose to turn off the TV. Choose to turn off Facebook. And choose to focus on what is good and what is true and what is lovely and true. As we respond this morning, we have a great opportunity to respond with joy and celebration at the table. Because you know what? Jesus instituted this as a place for us to celebrate what he has done for us. God, who is rich in mercy, gave us his son and sacrificed him for us all so that we could live a life that is joy and peace so that we could be restored